Hello, and welcome to this week's uh, Photographic Life. This podcast promises to help you make photography your full-time job. Travel, live life to its fullest. Make more money, get bigger clients, and learn to avoid the mistakes others have made. Fast track your success by learning from the best in the photography industry. Anybody who's listened to A Photographic Life in the past and previous episodes, and hopefully some of you joining us for the first time this week, please ignore everything I've just said. It's not true. I wouldn't say those things. Anybody involved in photography and anybody who's listened to these podcasts over the previous weeks and months will recognise and will have heard people fully engaged but at the same time realising that there is no quick fix for photographic success. There is no quick fix to make money. And that promise is a false promise which lacks honesty, truth and transparency. The description I just read to you is a description of another podcast. Um, The success of this podcast made me um, have a look around and see what other people were doing and how other people were describing what they do. And I found that description. In the last week, I also came across um, some T's and C's, some terms and conditions which were associated with a photographic competition that was just launching. If ever I come across uh, a pronouncement, uh, an announcement of um, a new competition, the first thing I do is I go straight to the T's and C's before I uh, choose to promote that in any way, whether that's um, by a retweet on Twitter or what have you. So I I had a look at this particular competition, as I have done uh, for a number of competitions in the past year, two of which... I've raised issues concerning their terms and conditions and the competitions have actually changed them as a response to my concern. Those have primarily been about um, grabbing of copyright, um, thinking that by entering a competition you're automatically handing over the rights to your images to the person running the competition. The one I saw in the past week took that quite a few stages further. They wanted you to agree that if you entered the competition, you would sell, they would sell your work and they would take 40% of uh, the fee that they got for your work. They wanted you to agree that you would automatically um, receive all of their marketing emails. They wanted you to ensure your work to pay for that insuring of your work once you'd entered because they refused to take responsibility for that work once it had been entered. They wanted you to contact your bank to get proof of payment of entry because they weren't going to do that. They also wanted you to sign various uh, agreements which they weren't actually outlining as to what those agreements were. And perhaps most strangely of all, They wanted you to pay them £5 a day for storage of your work if you didn't pick it up when they wanted you to. Obviously, this is just ridiculous. This is a a series 
of requests, requirements that have been put together by somebody thinking, how can we make money out of this enterprise? How can we make money out of this competition? The response from the people when I raised these issues and a number of people in the photographic community also raised these issues was, we're trying to do something different. We're trying to listen. We're happy to change things. No. If you're going to launch a competition, get it right. Don't try it on and hope. And this particular competition was for emerging artists, emerging photographers. Don't hope to get away with it because we're out there and we're checking on these things and people with far more legal knowledge than I have are also calling to question these bad practices. This idea of false marketing is of course nothing new in any area of sales or any area of the arts. I wrote, I think, in my first book, which I think, if I remember rightly, was about four or five years ago now, about the snake oil salesman. Those people making the promises that have a hidden agenda. And I think that, as we've heard over, again, over previous podcasts, uh, and I read and I, I talk about previous podcasts because I really encourage you to go back and listen to previous podcasts, not to listen to me, but to listen to, to the contributors, the people who have been incredibly honest and frank and raw about their experiences of the photographic medium and actually making it a career for them. And they're the people you should really, I believe, listen to. So anyway, this idea that things can be made right by entering a competition, that the prize, and it's really important, I think, actually maybe to, to raise this point, that of these competitions that um, I've questioned, the, the prize is the big, is the hero. The T's and C's are very hidden. Um, it requires a couple of clicks or it needs clicking on a, on a link that is by no means not obvious. You know, there is, there is very little transparency in any of this. Whether or not that is deliberate, I'm not here to say. The reality is that it is there and it is there in black and white. And photographers, if they do choose to uh, enter competitions, must read those terms and conditions very clearly before they make any financial uh, contribution to that competition. There are great competitions out there, and I've written an article which is on the United Nations of Photography.com website about this and breaking down these types of photographic competitions into three distinct categories and what to look for in a good competition. Because there's no doubt that competitions can aid careers and they can give confidence. But you've got to be very careful as to what the promise is and what the reality of that competition is. Jim Mortram, uh, who is a photographer based in the UK, wrote very eloquently recently in Amateur Photographer magazine about his beliefs uh, concerning photography and whether or not photography was an appropriate medium for competitions. Again, as always, I leave that for you to think about. But what I do want to really stress this week is the importance of reading terms and conditions. A comment was made to me recently um, that we feature primarily 
uh, documentary photographers uh, on the podcast, um, talking about either their careers through the photo stories or alternatively um, telling us what uh, photography means to them. I kind of question that because, yes, we have had a number of documentary photographers, but as we all know, those pigeonholes, those those boundaries, um, those barriers for crossing over are, um, I think, have gone, actually, to be honest. Uh, we had Mary Ellen Mark talking last week, uh, somebody who worked for a lot of her career uh, for magazines. We had Danny North, who was as a music photographer, but was also working on personal projects and, and very uh, important work to him. But this week, I thought we'd try something different. Um, again, returning to conversations I've previously had uh, with photographers. This week is a photographer called Michael Thompson, who many of you um, may not be aware of. But certainly, if you're aware of fashion photography, beauty photography, and if you were in any way interested in editorial photography at the beginning of the 1990s, there is no doubt that you will be more than just aware and perhaps also highly influenced by the work that the great art director, Fabian Barron, uh, who now runs Barron & Barron in New York. Uh, his work, um, previously for Italian Vogue magazine, but then moving on to uh, the relaunch under the great British editor, Liz Tilberis, of Harper's Bazaar magazine, was a real sea change in typography, uh, graphics, how images were shown, and how magazines as a principal platform for many years for photography, uh, was kind of blown apart by, uh, by Barron. He then went on to do a very similar thing uh, to Interview magazine. Anyway, Michael Thompson uh, was one of the young photographers who Barron took on and gave free reign to, as well as uh, he also brought back a number of established photographers and gave them a similar free reign creativity and I think that's one of the things that's often believed um, about commissioned photography. I never use the term commercial, but commissioned photography is that it can be a straitjacket for the creative. And that certainly doesn't have to be the case. And it isn't the case in many occasions. Anyway, uh, I just revisited this conversation. Um, and so I hope you enjoy it. And uh, here is this week, Michael Thompson. Your work at that time, I mean, it had a very, I was kind of thought it had a, a very kind of clean preciseness to it. I mean, that kind of really worked yeah. with what had been going on previously fashion-wise because it, it felt very fresh against the whole kind of grunge thing that was going on over here. Yes, I mean, you know, just coming out of, you know, three and a half years at Penn Studio, I was obviously very influenced by his work and, mm. you know, and in, in going off, I my, my work was very similar to Penn's. Um, and I think you know, in the beginning, a lot of a lot of beginning photographers want to kind of skew away from steer away from you know their their mentors a little bit. And I kind of stuck with that, and then kind of went off on my own and, and branched out as far as style goes as the years went on. 
Yes, I mean, I think, I mean, I had his books and, you know, along with Abaddon and all the big, you know, Newton, mm. and it was just a dream, you know, about on the West Coast, just looking at these, these images. Um, so, you know, yes, it was when I first knocked on the door and, and he answered the door, not an assistant, I was almost fell on the floor because <laughs> I was, you know, I knew who he was, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, you know, as you know, Penn was, and was very elusive and he mm. didn't really, you know, he was out of the spotlight a lot. Um, so to, to actually see him um, in person was always, uh, you know, even every day I was going in there and I was pinching myself thinking, oh my God, there's Irving Penn right yeah. here next to me. But that's an incredible so. start to a career to go from working with Penn to in your 20s working with Fabian Barron. Yes, no, it, it was it was amazing. It was, you know, I went from the West Coast, I drove a little U-Haul truck, you know, movie yourself truck with my belongings with my girlfriend and wife, who is my wife now, but just arriving there, not having any kind of leads or anything, I just started, you know, doing the thing that every assistant does and starts start making the calls. Mm. And um, he was one of the the people that, um, that that took me for an interview. I mean, I guess that's me being a Virgo and me being, <laughs> and there's, there's nothing, and for me, I always say there's nothing wrong with an out-of-focus, grainy picture. I mean, some of the most amazing images are that, you know, and, and I always say you can't duplicate a, a moment. You can get, have the most beautifully lit, beautifully, you know, photographed images technically, but if you just don't have that that feeling behind it, it's really nothing. So I always, I always try to marry the two together. Um, you know, it takes a little bit of planning, but, you know, early on I... I kind of, I wanted to leave myself open. I mean, in the very beginning, you know, everything was very controlled for me. It was, I wanted, I was so nervous that I wanted to get the image. I have everything planned out. Now I, I do the opposite. I kind of just, you know, have a great, great assistance, you know, nice equipment. And I just have, you know, enough confidence now to doing it for 20 years. And I just, I'd rather just let things roll as they roll. But but there's still a very strong uh, eye. I mean, I think within the world of fashion in particular, but in beauty, and actually the portrait work you do, it's very much to me, I can always spot a Michael Thompson picture, which I always think is like kind of, for me, is the, is the highest accolade you can give to a photographer because it's the hardest right. thing to actually achieve. Is that yes, well, thank you. I mean, I think I think it's for me. It's you know, in the very beginning, I think um, that's a nice compliment. Thank you. Um, I think that um, you know, before you know, in the '70s, '60s, where Penn was known for just white background, or Bill King was known just for moving pictures. Yeah. I always I, I found it hard for me as a photographer to stay with one sort of style, if you will, because I think I would have gotten too bored doing just one thing every single day for 20 years. Mm. So for me, I, I tried to move around a little bit, and I thought I, I just think that there's different lightings and different locations for different feelings and different stories in the magazine to do. So for me, when somebody says they can spot my work, I I, I can I don't try to do that, but since I go all over the place lighting wise. You know, but, I'm trying to think of well, what makes it a, my picture, you know. But I think that the, for, from my perspective, it, it would be that it's the attention to the shapes that you're making. Because, and I think yes. that's where that kind of control thing, I mean, I'm saying purely from someone who looks, who's looked at your pictures for 20 years. But, <laughs> right, right. You know, from the outsider's perspective is that there's mm. always that absolute perfection of shape, mm -hmm. which is something that yes. a lot of people don't understand about what makes a good fashion photographer. It's the shapes you're making. 
Right, yeah. And I, I tend, you know, and that's what's kind of a nice thing about doing a book because you do get a chance to critique your own work mm. in over 20 years. And, and that's one of the things that I love to do most about making a book is just to see the similarities and the differences between, you know, 1991 and 2011. Mm. And, you know, of course there is a thread there, but then there's a growth there. Or maybe, you know, I'm critiquing myself. But so for me, it's like a little, you know, family photo album for myself that I can say, well, I remember this day and I remember this day and, and how have I changed? And of course, I hope I changed as a person in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention also there that Michael Thompson was Irving Penn's assistant. Always interesting to me, actually, that um, finding out uh, who photographers have assisted and looking at that influence and because I wasn't aware of it, although I knew Michael's work very, very well, the moment um, he told me that, everything sort of fell into place. I started to understand where his work was at that time. If you're interested in kind of following up Michael Thompson's work, then um, there is a really good book called Images, which was published by Abrams, uh, I think back in 2005. So it may be an eBay search uh, to find that out. But obviously... You can also go onto his website and you can also Google Michael Thompson Images. And uh, anybody interested in very graphic, controlled, beautiful images, actually, um, should really check out Michael Thompson's work. I suppose it also raises uh, another issue, which is, a, a, I suppose, something, because I come from that um, that commissioned background, that idea of pen as a photographer, as I was saying at the beginning there, you know, that that blurring of boundaries. Penn's work now goes for uh, large amounts of money in auction houses. It's been exhibited all around the world. Obviously, he's one of the great icons of photography of the last um, century. But also, he was very much a working photographer. Um, it's something, actually, which um, quite often comes up as a, a debate discussion. Maybe there's still a divide there between this idea of photography as an, an art practice and photography as a commissioned practice. To me, um, by now, I hope um, you're starting to see with the photographers we welcome onto the podcast, all photography is of equal importance. All photography uh, is of equal relevance. And um, I don't look down on a commissioned image, just as I don't look down on a, a personal project that's been inspired by something which is very true to the photographer. To me, all of this work is relevant, that photography is very much a, a democratic church, and that we should be open to listen to everybody's opinions and not be judgmental about what work is, and I'm going to use this word here, in parentheses, uh, important. To me, all photography is important. All photography is enjoyable. And I can get something from all photography, even the photography that I really uh, don't like or I don't get. Uh, but maybe that's a, a discussion for another podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. As always, I ask you, if you could be so kind, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please give us a rating, give us a review if you've got time. All that stuff really helps. 
uh, get the message out about the podcast. Uh, the podcast is available on all of the usual platforms where you get your podcast from, including Podbean and um, SoundCloud. We're moving up to Christmas now. A lot of people will be slowing down in their work load and maybe reflecting on where they are uh, at the end of the year. And certainly future podcasts will be uh, addressing those kinds of issues. So that's it for this week. Just leaves me, as always, just to remind you, please take care.